Thank you, Men and Nehemiah. And there's be more affirmation after the service if you're interested in partnering with them. Our church has been partnering with them for about seven years. Lots of opportunities to make a difference, to make an impact, and we'd love for you to be a part. Well, we're going to be concluding our series in Romans, in Romans chapter 14 here in just a moment. Uh, this will be our last. We've been doing this uh, for the last three and a half months, and uh, chapter 14 and 15 are much of the same subject, and so we're going to deal with that today, and we're going to look at understanding judgment, understanding judgment. Now, you know, there is a new John 3.16 in our culture, in our world today. Uh, you know, growing up, everybody, even if people didn't know, uh, if they weren't Christians, they pretty much knew what John 3.16 was. And a lot of people do, but some people don't know John 3.16. They just know it's a football sign verse uh, that people hold up sometimes during sports, sports games. But um, there is one verse that virtually every person, every adult in the United States could quote to you. There's one verse that they all know. It's the new John 3.16. In other words, it's the new verse that everybody knows. Everybody knows this verse. And even people who aren't Christians will quote this verse. And it's found in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. You know what it is? Judge not that you may not be judged. Or your translation may say, condemn not that you may not be condemned. Everybody knows that verse. They may not know the reference, but they know it. I mean, I hear, I, I, I was on a, a site the other day with, with an atheist quoted that. He wasn't quoting to me. He was quoting that to the group. He said, judge not lest you be judged. And um, he had no church background, but he knew, that, he knew that verse. That's the verse that everybody knows and everybody can quote. But I think we have a misunderstanding of what judgment is. And so I want to clarify that in just a moment. I was, it was interesting. I was uh, reading an article by uh, uh, Stephen Anderson, who is a professor at the University of Ontario in, California, in, in um, uh, Canada. And he, he's not a, a Christian, but he was talking about, he was teaching a philosophy of ethics course, and his students had come in, and he needed to establish a baseline of something that everyone would agree, this is wrong. This is morally reprehensible. So he used an illustration. Uh, there was a young lady from Afghanistan. Her name was Bibi uh, Abshai. Bibi Abshai. Okay, and Bibi Ashai, when she was 12, her parents committed her to a guy who was a Taliban fighter. When she was 14, they married. He took her in. He began to abuse her and beat her. And matter of fact, made her sleep outside uh, with, the, with the farm animals in the barn and was constantly physically abusing her in a, in a horrid way. And so she ran away, came back. He beat her unmercifully when they found her. She ran away again this time. Uh, he and his father went and found her, and when they found her, they cut her ears and her nose off and left her there to die in the, the Afghan wilderness. And she made her way. She crawled for miles and miles and miles, went, came past one, one person that was a distant relative. They would not let her in. And finally, there were some, uh, there were some military, there were some U.S. soldiers who found her. They brought her to the uh, the hospital, uh, to the uh, military hospital that they had there in Afghanistan, and they got her to where she could survive, but she still didn't have a nose or ears. Uh, later on, she was, able, she was allowed to go to the United States, and through a process of three or four years, they finally were able to do some surgeries to reattach some semblance of a nose and ears on her. But she had gone through this horrid experience. As a matter of fact, Time Magazine about seven or eight years ago had her on the front cover of the magazine, and so he used this illustration to say, now, 
Would you not all agree this is an example of something that is always wrong? This is bad. This is evil. This is wrong. And this is wrong in every culture. And he was un, uh, just unsuspecting of the response he gets. Some people nodded their hair, but he said, I had many students, 18 and 19-year-olds go, eh, we don't know. It depends on th- that's their culture. That's the way they hand- handle things in their culture. We can't judge other cultures. We can't justify. And he goes, and one student said, well, judge not lest you be judged. He said, I actually had an 18-year-old student said, judge not lest we be judged. He goes, and I'm just thinking, I know we live in a relativistic culture, but still, couldn't we all agree that this is bad, that this is wrong? But see, these children had grown up. There is no moral absolutes. There is no moral. Each one determines, and in a culture, your culture determines what's right and wrong. And if you're going to be honest about it, that's where it leads you. These kids were being honest. They recognized, hey, it's an individual decision or a cultural decision, so we can't judge other cultures because we say there is no moral absolutes. There is no one specification or one authority that can determine what's right or wrong across the board for every culture and for every person. So we can't really say that. And that was being an honest position. And he was just mesmerized. Well, that's what happens when we don't believe there's an ultimate authority for creation and for humanity. That's where it leads you if you're going to be honest about it. But we as believers in Christ Jesus believe there is an ultimate authority. It is God Almighty and he has communicated to us through his word what is morally right, what is truth. There is a truth. It is absolute. And that's what we call the scriptures. Now, as we get into understanding judgment, uh, and we've talked about this before, but I think it bears repeating. If you've been coming here a few years, you've heard this before. When we talk about what are the absolutes of truth as Christian belief, Christian faith, what are those? Well, first of all, in what we believe, there are the tenets. Those are the non-negotiables of Christianity. These are categories of Christian beliefs. The non-negotiables of Christianity. Um, So, Let me just give you four of those. Number one, theology. There is a God and that he is the creator and designer of all the universe. There is a God. Okay. Number two, what we call Christology, Christ Jesus. The way that we know God, God made a way for us to know him, and it's through the person of Jesus Christ, his son, who came and lived the life that we should have lived and died the death that we should have died. He was able to, the third point, forgive sin, sin, Uh, through his death, burial, and resurrection, he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. So we've got theology, Christology, homardiology, which is the doctrine of sin. And then the fourth one is this soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. How do we connect and know and experience grace and forgiveness from the Almighty God through Jesus Christ? And that is through faith. We are justified by our faith in Christ. We put our faith and our trust in what Jesus Christ did, and we're justified by faith, okay? So those are four essential doctrines of faith. You can't say that you're a Christian and go, well, I don't really believe in soteriology. I don't believe really that man is sin, or I don't believe um, and it has to be Jesus, or I don't know if there really is a God. Then that's not Christianity. We would say you're wrong. We would say that is heresy, okay? So those are fundamental, essential, have-to doctrines, okay? 
Then we go to the second, their teachings. And these are very important aspects of our faith, but we may understand them differently from church to church, from denomination to denomination. So what would some of these teachings be? Well, there's ecclesiology, the way the church is run. There's eschatology, what we believe about how and when Jesus Christ will come back. Uh, There's also uh, other issues like we had baptism this morning. Some people practice uh, baptism at birth. We do. We practice believers' baptism. We had communion at the earlier service, and we, what we believe about communion. Those are all important. Church government. We have an elder board that, that that is the leader authority of our church. Those are all important teachings. But what we can't say is we know we're right. Or if you don't believe what we believe, you're not a Christian. And we, we can't say that. I guess you could, but you'd be probably be wrong. So. But to the best of our knowledge, just the way we interpret, we recognize on these important but not essential doctrines, they are sometimes interpreted differently as Christians. So we understand that. Then that brings us to the third area, which is taste. What are areas of taste? One would be music. And some of you are saying today, that was not, I did not like that music. I don't know. I think I've heard that somewhere else, and it was not in church. That's an issue of taste. It's not a doctrine. It's not an essential. You can be a Christian and sing all day long. It's not even a really important teaching. It's a matter of taste, what you like and what you don't. It's an opinion that you have, and you have to recognize it as such. And it might be really important to you, but just identify it as a taste. Like, I hate Dr. Pepper. But if you say, diet Dr. Pepper. Actually, I like Dr. Pepper. I hate diet Dr. Pepper. It just, I don't like it. Would I be right in saying, oh, you like Dr. Pepper? You're wrong. You do not like that. That does not taste good. That is awful. You go, you're an idiot. That's what I think. I mean, that's, that's what you would think because it's an issue of taste. You can't say it's right or wrong. It's simply a taste. And we have to recognize that's a lot of what happens in churches. Sunday school or small groups, that's an issue of taste. Dress, it's an issue of taste. I was talking to... Uh, one of my family, not too long, just a few weeks ago, and they were talking about this family. He used to come to my church, but the guy didn't like the way I dressed. So he went to go to church where the pastor wore a suit and tie. Guess what? That's okay. That's a matter of taste. I promise you, you cannot find in the Bible, because I've looked, it never says the pastor's supposed to wear a tie. I think that's the Antichrist sign. I, I, I don't think that's worth You could maybe say a, a robe? You maybe can make an argument for a robe, and I wear robes at all weddings so that I don't have to argue with a bride about what I'm going to wear. I said, put on this big black robe, I'm done. You, you don't even know what I, I'm wearing a t-shirt under this thing. But anyway, those are all matters of taste, and we have to recognize that. So with that understanding, uh, we t- we're going to talk about different types of judgments. Now, I want to clarify There are four types of judgments that we see in Scripture. The first one is this, and it's in regards to what we just quoted a while ago, um, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. Matter of fact, literally, condemn not that you be not condemned. It's critical, irredeemable criticism, okay? Irredeemable criticism. It's just condemning someone. Usually it happens when they're not even there. You're just talking about somebody. And the Bible says we are to never do this. This We all do it. But none of us should ever. But we all do it, okay? We all struggle with that, with being judgmental. 
But that's what the scripture's saying. Hey, if you're judgmental, then that same standard's going to be met with you in other areas that you don't think about because it's not what you're maybe weak in. Number two, corrective uh, judgment or passing judgment is how Paul will will, uh, clarify it. Passing judgment. What does that mean? Well, there are two ways uh, that we typically punish our children. One is corrective. The other is formative. Now, formative uh, discipline with our children would be our, children's, our children do something and we talk to them. We go, now look, let me help you understand. That was not a good choice and we're not going to do this and this is the reason why. And so we want you to understand. I want to give you information. So I'm going to give you some correction. I'm going to give you, um, I'm, I'm making a judgment here, so to speak. I'm going to judge you, but I'm going to inform you so that you know how to respond or what not to do next time. Now, the next step would be corrective judgment as parents, and sometimes we have to do the corrective. That means there's a timeout, there's a grounding, there's a board of education, or whatever it is that you do, but that you, there's a correction aspect of that discipline, okay? There's a correction aspect of that judgment. So there's formative, we usually want to start with formative, then we go to corrective, and then the fourth one is discernment, discernment. Discernment, the Bible talks a lot about discernment. Uh, Romans chapter 12, 2 talks about the importance of discernment. Proverbs talks about the importance of discernment, that we make wise, examined decisions. The Bible never says, do not use discernment. Do not make any discerning judgment. It does not say that. It says, do not condemn or critically malign people. Uh, You as individuals, unless you are an authority over people for some reason, uh, you don't have the corrective uh, permission to judge people, but you, as a brother, if it's someone you know, you have a relationship, you always have the formative responsibility uh, of judgment, and then discernment. Discernment, you know, who, is this a person I should go in business with? Is this someone I should marry? Is this someone that uh, my children should be with? Is this whatever it is? I'm making a discernment. Should I buy this house? Should I buy this car? We're supposed to use discernment. And the Bible over and over again affirms discernment. And part of the problem in our culture is we don't use enough discernment. So the Bible never says not to discern. The Bible never says not to inform or use formative uh, correction. And the Bible doesn't also say uh, for for groups that we can't use corrective uh, judgment. Now, who can use corrective judgment? That's the, the question, isn't it? The Bible's given us three institutions. First institution is this. It is government. Government can use corrective judgment, and they do it. Ty was talking about a time of correction that he experienced earlier in his life, okay? And we've all experienced corrective judgment, but that comes from an authority in our life. The government is an authority, okay? Number two, other authority would be our family slash our parents. Parents have the responsibility to not only formulate, but to also correct children and correct their behavior. Uh, Sometimes that's through punishment or other avenues. And then also the church has that responsibility. And now with the church is a little bit different because what do we, uh, what does the church have authority over? Number one, we talked about doctrine. 
if, if someone is teaching or espousing a heretical doctrine within the church, in other words, we talk about those first four, and they're trying to go a different direction or tell people different, something different, then we, we must correct that. We must inform and then correct if necessary. Uh, another one would be a, some, a, someone who's being divisive and is trying to, to tear the church down or tear the body apart. That when it's divisive, that is the church's responsibility. And then a third one would be unrepentant, destructive sin. That it continues. The goal is always restoration. But if it's continual unrepentance and it's destructive, then the church as an authority must deal with that with its members. We're not talking about those on the outside. Matter of fact, Paul is not writing this letter to people who are not believers. This is specifically to believers. So those are the categories and the understandings when we talk about judgment. And so let's look at our text in Romans chapter 14, beginning with the first verse. Paul is speaking here uh, to those in Rome, to the church in Rome. Many of them are, are, are those who were strict Jews and were observing a dietetic code. Some of them were Gentiles who never had to live under that. And so there's a lot of debate, a lot of questions. And Paul says, as for one who is weak in the faith, welcome him. If somebody has different opinions, somebody maybe hasn't believed a believer as long, maybe somebody has some confusions, welcome them. But do not quarrel over opinions, i.e. taste. That word can be translated taste. Do not quarrel over things that you have opinions about. You can have them, but don't argue as if they're a doctrine or a tenet, okay? It's just your personal taste, so we don't argue about issues of taste. One person believes that they may eat anything while the weak person only eats vegetables. Uh, I have a Kid, a young man who was in my student ministry, I was a student minister, and he is a strict vegan and is very convicted that we should all be vegan. So if I go to lunch with him, I don't get a Big Mac, all right, um, because I know this is a big deal to him. And, but I don't share that conviction, so when he's gone, I eat all hamburgers I want, okay? But he says, one person believes that you can eat anything. The weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. In other words... Well, I eat, and so I, you know, I look down on him. I berate him, or I poke and jab at him because I think, really, is that your conviction? He goes, don't do that. That's an immature response on my part. Likewise, it says, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. He can't judge me for not being a vegetarian or anything close. For God has welcomed him. Now, let's go to the next verse. Who are you to pass judgment? Remember, we talked about that word. There's Paul's word, pass judgment, corrective judgment. Who are you to take that corrective, that punitive state of judgment on the servant of another? What servant, who, servant of who is he talking about? Servant of God. He's, he's God's servant, all right? It is before his own master that he stands. It's before God that you stand and fall and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Now, let's skip to verse 20, same chapter, Paul's still speaking, and this is clear, there's a lot in the middle, I encourage you to read it, uh, but he comes back, and this is, he's kind of summarizing, for do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean. Remember, many of them had always been living by this strict dietetic law, and now it's been lifted. But many don't feel comfortable. They don't feel like it's right. But it's wrong to make another person stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. That the faith you have between you and yourself and God, blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment for himself for what he's eaten. All right, so let's go back, go back right up there. I'm sorry, to 20, 
attitude. So let's talk about this for just a moment. Is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble? So let me, I'm going to go ahead and do a controversial uh, statement right here. And I didn't get very many affirmations last ser- service. So I'll just go ahead and tell you this is kind of my, jer- my church degrowth program, I guess. Um, so what does that mean? What does that mean? So l- let me give you an example right here. So, you know, the meat one's not a big deal. And there's a couple of you in here. Um, I'm not even sure you're telling the truth that you only eat vegetables, but some of you may claim to, to do that. That's really not a big problem at Rock Point anyway. Um, but here's the one of drinking wine. Now, that's the one, and some of you, ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you've got some questions about that. So let me just tell you my position right now. Let me just tell you. Uh, I have chosen not to drink alcohol. I don't, I don't drink any alcohol. Now, let me tell you why. I have two people that are in my life. Uh, one that's a very good friend, another one that I am uh, in constant contact. This is not my wife, by the way. I would like to take this time to <laughs> clarify this. Not my wife. They're both guys, I mean, um, that are alcoholics. And uh, they have they attend AA, great guys, and working through this, and it's been a problem. And so because uh, they are a part of my life, I've chosen just not to drink. I'm just not going to do it. Uh, because it's, to be honest with you, it's been kind of like giving up broccoli for me. It's just not that big of a deal. And so I... I don't, I don't drink at all. That's why that's, I don't do that, okay? And that's the reason I don't, because I don't want to be a stumbling block. Now, on the other hand, I have on both sides of my family, I have people that drink, and I'm fine. We can sit down. It doesn't bother me. My best friend is an Episcopalian priest, and I don't think I've ever been to a meal, and I've been to hundreds. I've never been to a meal that he doesn't drink, and that's fine. I'm not offended. I don't think he's sinning. I don't have a problem. That's his liberty. That's his freedom. That's where he, that's where he is. That's what's going on in his life. And he's not in the same place. He doesn't deal with the same thing that I'm dealing with. And so, my conviction for me, because of some people that God has put in my life, that's why I don't. Because I don't want to be a stumbling block. Now, what would be immature of me would be to say this: None of you. Should, if you don't drink, you're just you're just not really a Christian. If you if you drink or chew or date girls that do, you're not godly. That's an immature response. Here's another immature response. You know, we get this liberty. I can do whatever I want. If I want to drink, if I want to eat that, if I want to do whatever. That's a very immature response. You are a baby Christian if that's how you're using your liberty. You, you are not caring and you've missed the whole point of this text. Okay? So maturity is recognized. There are liberties. As a matter of fact, we're about to see Paul say this. There are convictions that some have that others don't have, and they're valid. They're both from God. They, they both can be God-honoring. Okay, so matter of fact, he's going to say just that. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. And he's not talking about the gospel here. When he's talking about faith, he's talking specifically about this issue. He's saying the conviction that you have about this matter is between you and God. Somebody may ask you, and you can tell them, but this is not what you go around preaching. This is not your identifying marker. This is not what God's called you to stand for, okay? Uh, This is something between you and God that God's convicted of you for whatever the reason might be. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubt is condemned if he eats because eating is not from faith. For whatever does does not proceed from faith is sin. So I want to take this moment to clarify Again, there are people in this room who are alcoholics 
Uh, there are some people in this room that, that drink too much and have a drinking problem. And, you, and maybe you may be saying, no, I don't. My, my wife's always on me, my kids. That means you do. That means you do. You're in denial, and it's something you need to deal with, and we would love to help you. That's why we have groups here. So you can be a stumbling block both ways. You can be a stumbling block because you're doing it or by denying it and, and just simply being in denial and causing your family and friends to struggle and suffer. So there's some people that that is a very valid point. And, and you shouldn't, and, there, and some of you have people close in your life, and you need to think about abstaining from that liberty. You need to consider that. That would be the mature thing to consider doing. And if you go, but just, it's my right. Well, it's my right to be ugly to you, but you're not going to like it. All right? So we, it's not all about our rights. It's about what brings God the most glory. It's about edifying the body of Christ. Okay? And so that's why Paul says... But if you have a doubt about it, don't. If there's something you want, oh, I wonder if I should do this. I feel like this, but I don't know. Then don't. There'll be a freedom, and you can see, and if no one's stumbling, then you can look at it and go, okay, God, I want to make a discernment. This is, a, this is an area of liberty. Good, good for you. You work that out between, what do you say, between you and God. All right? Uh, so, with that understanding, and I'm happy, by the way, I'm happy to take questions on this after service because I know this is controversial. Some of you are very mad right now, and I want to encourage you that when you look for your next church that you not start with taste. <laughs> you start, start over there with the tenants, then you go to the teachings, and then you go to the Kool-Aid or whatever that is. Okay, so uh, with that said, uh, let's do a review of what we've just talked about this morning so we have a good understanding. Uh, start over here. Remember... In the aspects of the teachings of the faith, there are tenets, there are teachings, there are issues of taste, and we must recognize them as such. It's okay if you have a taste, that, that's going to be considered, but you always want to start with what's, what's important, then with what's important, and then recognize, okay, here's some taste. I didn't like that music, that's why, by the way, we're going to do a service at 8.15, starting in two weeks, that'll just be a violin and a piano, okay, and you know, mainly hymns, and that's fine. That's a taste. You're not more godly if you come there, and you're not less godly if you come at this hour. Uh, I don't guess. All right, judgmental. We look at different forms of uh, judgment. We are never to be judgmental. And unless God has put us as an authority in life over certain people, over individuals, we're not to use that, particularly in the church. Unless you're an elder or a leader of the church, you're not to, to, try, to uh, and try to bring about punitive punishment or corrective discipline upon someone. Uh, that, what you are to do is you are to use formative judgment, to go and encourage them, to speak to them, to educate them, to help them, to minister to them. Remember, the purpose is redemption, and we are always to use discernment. I think we'd all agree to that. Government is an authority for the corrective judgment. Parenting and the church, as we listed before, or if you've been placed as a supervisor, boss, a leader of a pair church organization like Men and Nehemiah. Uh, again, we don't want to take liberties. For, for many people, it's best to abstain, uh, but that's between you and God and your convictions. Now, what I don't want us to forget is what's most important. I was reading an article just this week about uh, our sea life and what's happening and all the plastics that, that are being dumped into the ocean and the effect that it's happened. And it was believed for a long time that 
the plastics were being uh, accidentally ingested, particularly by the plankton, which is one of the, the greatest uh, source of food uh, for the ocean life, by the plankton and by also the coral reefs. They, they, scientists and marine biologists have for long thought they're accidentally ingesting this. What they found out is that was not actually the fact. They're not accidentally. They actually prefer it. They think it tastes good. They've now discovered that plankton and coral, they, they like the taste of plastic. They literally are trying to ingest it when it comes because it has a, a, an appealing taste. The problem is it's destroying them. And that's what happens to us when we try to live our life strictly by taste. If something tastes good, if something feels good, we do it. But that's not what Scripture teaches us. We want to start with what brings glory to God. What are the tenets of my faith? What are the important teachings? What are the things that bring in glory? And not let our taste rule our faith, but let our faith rule our taste. Big difference. So maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ. You might have said, that's just not my taste. It's not an issue of taste. It's an issue of truth. Just like plastics destroy our marine life, so does sin. So does the belief that I am my own God, that I can make it, that I can be good enough on my own. The truth of it is, is that there is a holy God who created all of us. And as we talked about a while ago, he gave us the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, to deal with our sin, that it might be forgiven, that if we would transfer our trust from what we could do to what he has done, that we might be justified by our faith in Jesus Christ. Have you done that? I want to challenge you to do that today. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this time. Thank you that while we were still sinners, you died for us. Lord, help us to make wise and informed uh, judgments within our faith, discernments within our faith. Lord, help us not to be critical. Father, I pray that when we have an issue with someone, uh, that we would do as Matthew 18 suggests, that we would go and speak with them and try to resolve that. And Lord, I pray that we would trust those in authority that you've put over us, and that, Lord, we might live well and live in peace and bring you glory. And God, I pray that our taste and our liberties, our blessings would never, sta never stand in the way of the gospel. And, Lord, the testimony that you've given us. So, Lord, I pray for those today who struggle with substances. Uh, Lord, who, whether that be alcohol, drugs, nicotine, whatever. Lord, I pray for those, Lord, that you would give them deliverance. Lord, let us never cause them to stumble or struggle uh, because we feel like we can exercise our taste just as we wish. At the same time, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't become legalistic, thinking that that makes us a better Christian, that that makes us holy. For in truth, it is your spirit that sanctifies our life. And there's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves that makes us more godly. But it is through your spirit, Lord, we live. And it's through your spirit, God, we have our being. And Lord, that we bring you praise and glory, which is our ultimate purpose. Lord, for those who don't know you, would you draw them to know you? For those, Father, who need to recommit their lives, I pray that you would lead them to do that today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.